0: We are continuing week by week in this little series on loving each other well because I think our world, you know, one of the biggest things it needs is authentic communities of love. Um, it doesn't only need communities of people who believe the right thing or say the right thing, um, it needs communities of people who, in their very relationships, embody the reality of the gospel, um, embody what it means to have experienced the grace that's come to us because of the cross. And I just think in these like troubled times, um, it's authentic communities of love uh, that are going to draw people to the reality of Jesus in our midst. Um, and I, I just wanna say thank, uh, I just wanna give my gratitude to all of you um, because we, we, you model this so well. Um, week by week, I see people in our family on mission love each other so well Um, and I think God built that into us before we got into this season together, Um, but I think God is taking us deeper into it as well. So we always say here at the Gospel Tab that every so often we just preach a sermon on forgiveness, Um, and different people will do it. Uh, Different people have done it in the years past, Um, but I woke up in prayer this weekend and really felt like uh, this is what the Lord wanted for today, Um, forgiveness is one of the great gifts that God gives us to hold the family together and to show the world the reality of the love of Jesus. So we're gonna look at just a very short verse today in Ephesians chapter four. Actually, the last um, verse, it's Ephesians 4.32, and then we'll read into chapter five just a little bit. Ephesians, this letter that Paul writes to the ancient church of Ephesus is such a rich book, Um, and in it, Paul uh, unfolds the reality of our salvation, the benefits of our salvation, what this salvation means for the people who have received it. And by the time he gets to Ephesians 4, um, he's talking about the practical outworking, like what does it look like if we receive this grace? Uh, What does it look like for that to be worked out in our lives? Because this salvation that we've received is not just like a set of doctrines, It's not just a set of things that we believe. Um, It is us joining in with what God is doing in the world and that transforming every facet of our lives, including our relationships. So Ephesians four and five is very practical. Paul covers a lot of ground very quickly, just kind of listing off things um, that are evidences of this salvation in our lives and our relationships and the way that we treat other people. And he says this in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving one another, just as in Christ, God forgave you, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I want you to notice Paul's command. If you're familiar with the scriptures at all, you know it's a familiar one. But then I want you to notice his rationale for the command, Um, the reasoning that he gives for it, because that's just as important. First of all, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. This is the teaching of the New Testament. It's the teaching of Paul because it was the teaching of Jesus. Jesus taught this to his disciples. As a matter of fact, he told us to pray that one of the places where we spend in prayer is forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We said a few weeks ago that this is some of what it means to be hypocritical in the scriptures. It's not to be a Christian and to still have issues It's to claim to be a Christ follower, to have received grace, to have received forgiveness, and then be unable to share that with our neighbors, then to be unable to share that with our sister, with our brother. That is what the scriptures call hypocrisy. That's what Jesus called hypocrisy, is receiving this grace and then not being able to give it away. So this is the clear command of scripture. It's something that we're supposed to pray. It's supposed to be a regular part of our prayer life. Um, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. If you live this life, even in the family on mission, then you know why this needs to be a regular part of our experience with Jesus. Because offenses are a regular part of our life experience, right? And it's not just in the world that this is the case. We are messed up enough, right, right? as a family on mission, that we bump into each other too. We step on each other's toes. Even when we're serving next to each other, we still say things, do things that cause offense, or we receive offense from our brothers and sisters. We're not going to make it through this life, right, without that being a reality. Even in our closest relationships, this is a reality, So Jesus said, when you approach God in prayer and you open your heart to his love, our Father who is in heaven, you receive his love and you're praying for the kingdom to come. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you're asking for your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread that we should also enter into this space of prayer that is forgive us our sins because we need forgiveness as we forgive those who sin against us, as we forgive those who have caused us offense, So this is the clear teaching of Scripture. It's the clear teaching of the New Testament that we as Jesus followers are to be people who extend forgiveness to each other, but not only to each other, to our enemies as well. That there is no one that is outside of our responsibility to extend forgiveness to, right? So that's the command. That's the law, and the law is love, right? But look at Paul's rationalization, Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul loves to do this. No matter what he's commanding, um, whether he's commanding to give or he's commanding to be on mission, um, he loves to root it in our experience with Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. Paul is not just saying that we should forgive as a matter of principle because this is the right thing to do. That's the law in and of itself. And he's not saying that that's the only reason we should do it, even though it is right and we should do it. He's not even saying that this is just a matter of imitation, like Jesus forgave from the cross, so be like him and imitate him, even though we should imitate Jesus. What he's saying is, you have experienced the very thing that I'm asking you to now give away. And it's this is how the kingdom of God works. We can give away what we've received. And so he's saying, you have experienced this thing, You have experienced forgiveness in Christ and Christ's sacrifice on the cross. God forgave you. And so in the experience of that, in the experience of that reality of having received his forgiveness, that's why Paul thinks that these people have the resource to give it away. Because he believes they have it because they received it, right? So this is why they can now give it away. This is why they have the resources to give away forgiveness even in really hard relationships, even in really hard circumstances. This is why. Because in Christ, God forgave them. Paul is asking them to remember what it was like to receive God's forgiveness. As a matter of fact, I think that if we're going to enter into the space of forgiveness, one of the best places to start is to remember specifically and tangibly the forgiveness that we ourselves have received from our Father in Christ, right? So let me share with you some things that have been helpful for me in this area. Um, What was the thing in your life that you most felt like it would be impossible to receive forgiveness for? Maybe the thing that you buried in secrets. Um, Maybe the thing that you were afraid to talk about, that you were sure, if you did talk about it, that people would abandon you. Whatever that thing was. Now you, you may be in a place where you still feel like you haven't received forgiveness or freedom for that. I want to tell you it's available for sure. Um, but some of you know what it's like to come out from that shame and to experience the reality of the forgiveness of God washing over that. Whatever was worst in your story. We were saying last week, whatever you would least like to be posted on Facebook and have other people see it, right? Um, Whatever that defect of character was, that behavior was that you felt like would be the thing that would surely keep God and other people from loving you, if you know what it's like for the love of God to rush in and disable that shame, I think that is a good place to start when someone has offended us, to recall and remember what it was like to receive the grace and the forgiveness of God in that impossible place, in that impossible thing. Um, or uh, this, I find that sometimes the very thing that I'm offended at, that someone did to me, is something that I have also participated in. Do you know what I'm saying? There have been times, and I'm glad the Spirit of God has showed me this at different times, but there's been times when I've been offended at something someone said or did, and then the Holy Spirit, he's so gentle, But just in the way he comes and reminds me that I said or did something very similar, at least in the similar ballpark, recently, right, to somebody else. Um, I'm glad the Spirit reminds me of this because I rejoiced in God's forgiveness in that moment. I'm glad that that thing I said or that thing I did did not somehow now exclude me from the reality of the love and grace of God. I was eager to receive what God was, forg- was giving, his forgiveness. I was eager to receive the mercy that he was extending to me. So I think sometimes it's good to recall that, that reality, that some of the things that I'm offended or hurt by are things that I myself have done, right? Um, or this, that... Not all the time, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make a qualification here in a moment. Not all of the time, but many times when I've been offended or hurt by somebody else, it was not the offense or the hurt was not caused completely by one party, right? Many times, I somehow participated in that offense becoming a reality. I didn't do things right either. I, you know, I want to hold someone to the standard and I want to say that they shouldn't have said that or they shouldn't have done that. And less often do I want to face the reality that I somehow participated in this too, right? Now, there are exceptions to that. There are times when people hurt us and it had nothing to do with us. Um, if you are an abuse victim or victim of violent crime, you did nothing to deserve that. Um, You didn't bring that on yourself, and you shouldn't let anybody tell you that. Um, So there are times when we had nothing to do with it, but in many of the times when I have felt offense, upon further reflection, I somehow participated, right? I somehow participated in this difficult conversation. I somehow participated in the conditions that created these comments being said or this anger being displayed or so on and so forth. And in all of these places, my worst secrets, my deepest shame, in the places where I want to hold people accountable to things that I myself have broken the rules for, right? Um, Or in the places where I participated in the difficult conversation or the rub in the relationship. In all of these places, not only was I eager to receive God's love, God's love and forgiveness was a reality because his love doesn't run out on us, amen? He's so merciful, He's so gracious. He's there for us. Paul is just encouraging the Ephesian believers to remember this reality, what they've received, that this grace and mercy is real, and they know it, and having received it, they can now give it, right? Now, uh, we talk a lot here at the Gospel Tab when we preach these sermons about what forgiveness is and what it is not. So if we could go to the next slide, let's just remind ourselves that forgiveness and reconciliation and trust are three different things, right? Um, forgiveness is commanded in Scripture. It's commanded because it's given, right? God gives it, so God believes that we have the resources to give it away, um, he fills us with his forgiveness so his forgiveness can flow through us. So in all instances, it's commanded. Forgiveness is not saying that it didn't hurt and it's not stuffing the wrong. It's not saying that it wasn't wrong. As a matter of fact, forgiveness really isn't possible until we fully enter into the pain of what happened and grieve what happened and call what was wrong, wrong. Um, I've been reflecting on some of this lately lately I think I've said this in some environments. With everything our nation is going through, I've been reflecting some on the uh, Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa. And this was the power of what happened in South Africa as apartheid fell apart, as forced governmental segregation between races fell apart in South Africa. Um, Was that a plan was put into place where for years, um, people who had caused offenses, sometimes atrocious things, I mean, war crimes, showed up in an official capacity and went on the record to say, here's what happened, oftentimes with family members in the room who had been victimized by these atrocities. Um, And just by it going on the record, just by saying this happened, it's real, and this is wrong, it allowed the nation to move on in forgiveness. This is an issue for us, by the way, in this nation, For all that's in our history books, for all of the information that's out there, I'm not sure we've ever officially gone on the record in a systematic way and said, yes, this is real, it's wrong. And when wounds aren't acknowledged, they resurface again and again and again because they haven't found acknowledgement. And I think that's some of what you're seeing in our nation today um, and throughout our history. But forgiveness starts by acknowledging what it is that's wrong. And forgiveness, very simply, is just releasing someone from a debt. Um, When I lead someone through prayer on forgiveness, this is how I explain it to them. Some of the language in the New Testament surrounding forgiveness uh, uh, uses like financial language um, to describe the release of a debt. It's saying, what you said or did stole from me in these ways. It took something from me and I'm releasing you of that debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. You don't owe me, you don't have to pay me back. I release you from the debt that was incurred by the wrongdoing that you did. It is wrongdoing, I'm acknowledging it. You shouldn't have said that, you shouldn't have done that. It hurt, it was wrong. I'm acknowledging it, but I'm also releasing the debt. That's our responsibility. And we are able to do this, forgiveness, whether or not the other person is sorry Get this, whether or not the other person is even alive, we're able to forgive them because we're releasing them of this debt. I've met people who are still trying to extract a debt from someone who's dead, right? Um, Who are trying to get it back from them, you know, what was taken from them. But we can release that and just say, I release that. Um, It's an act of the will. It's more than an emotion. We can still feel hurt, still even feel angry, but we can release the debt. This person doesn't owe me anything. That is different than reconciliation, and here's why. It's because, and God's heart, by the way, is always for reconciliation. It's what God would want between people um, when there's hurt and when there's pain. But reconciliation requires that both parties agree on what was done wrong. Um, And if the person who hurt you um, can't acknowledge that what was done was wrong, then reconciliation isn't going to be possible with them. Um, When we get into the area of reconciliation, um, there's three outcomes that can happen. First of all, we can reconcile with another person just by overlooking the offense. Scripture says uh, that this is a righteous thing, that part of our growth as Christ forms in us humility and love is the ability to overlook offenses. It is true. There is a sense in which no matter how long you follow Jesus, you're still going to experience offense. And yet, the longer we follow Jesus and the more his love is formed in us, I think we also become harder to offend, right, over time. Um, some of that's just the working of humility. We don't take ourselves so seriously anymore, right? Um, some of that is the way, uh, you know, the grace of God has formed our minds and our hearts. We just know we've received grace, so it's harder for us to hold people around us to these standards that they can't reach either, um, and so sometimes the righteous thing to do in reconciliation is just to overlook. Sometimes it doesn't require a conversation. Sometimes it doesn't sometimes the right thing to do is just to move past it and to extend grace to that person anyway. However, where offense has actually taken root, we can't use overlooking the offense as a way to avoid having the conversation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like Sometimes, because we we Christians, right, we know that forgiveness is the right thing to do, so sometimes it's like, I'm just going to extend grace, I'm going to forgive them, and then we're stewing inside, right, we're still like replaying it, if you can't overlook it, if you can't let it go, then you haven't overlooked it, right, (laughs) and it's going to require a little bit more. And sometimes that requires a conversation with the person. Um, Scripture in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus' teaching has very specific instructions for what this can look like if you want to explore that on your own. But sometimes it means coming to the person and having a conversation about what was wrong. And if you come to the person and they're able to see your pain, now I want to warn you, they'll probably never fully see the pain you've experienced or experience the pain you've experienced to the same level that you've experienced it, right? because they're not you, they haven't had those same feelings. But as long as they can see what was wrong and acknowledge the wrong, then reconciliation is possible. Um, Then we're able to have this conversation and forgive and be in relationship with each other. And this would be God's heart in every instance where relationship is broken. But there are times when the person can't see it. There's times when sin is rooted in someone's heart and they can't humble themselves to ask for forgiveness, and you've probably all experienced relationships like that. And in those instances, it is, um, it is an option to release the relationship. And here's what I mean by that. Um, one way of releasing a relationship is just to acknowledge that the relationship is not what we thought it was. Maybe it still exists, but it's just not what we thought it was. Maybe it's still there, but we can't, just can't trust the person the same. Uh, we still love them, but our trust has been affected in that person because of how they affected, how they acted in this situation, right? Um, sometimes it just means that the relationship becomes something different after the offense altogether. doesn't mean we don't love each other. It doesn't mean we don't relate to each other. But we have to release what the relationship was. There is a grieving process in that when we have to release what a relationship was and accept what it is now. But it doesn't mean that God can't work in that relationship and it doesn't mean that God can't be present and working in that space. Sometimes, some of you have experienced this, Christ is transforming you, changing you, you are experiencing healing and not everyone around you is coming along for the ride, right? There is a pain in growing in Jesus because it changes our relationships, right? Um, Not everyone is able to keep track with that. I want to tell you, you have a future with Jesus, so you have to keep going forward with Jesus, right? But there is a release that has to happen sometimes to say, this person might not be ready to come with me, or this person might not be able to accept the healed version of me. If the sick version of you was all codependent with other people, right, then as you get healed, um, some people around you will actually get angry, actually feel like you're betraying them, right? Because you're growing into something else. There's a way to love those people, but to release the relationship, just to recognize that it's not going to be what it once was. Relationships change, and I just wanna encourage you, if you're experiencing that kind of thing, um, I wanna tell you, for every relationship you release, God will provide more relationships of growth and healing around you. Um, that's my experience. We're so afraid to let go sometimes, that God loves you. He, He puts the lonely in families. He will surround you um, with people who love you and are for your growth. So sometimes we have to release in that way. And other times, because people are so stuck in sin or it becomes so toxic or because it's not safe to reconcile uh, with somebody, especially if it's an abusive situation, release means really letting the person go and not having contact with them. It doesn't mean that we can't forgive them but sometimes the right thing to do is release them and not be in contact with them anymore. And all of that is different than trust, right? Scripture commands forgiveness. We must forgive. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. The Bible does not command blanket trust in just anybody. As a matter of fact, Scripture is filled with all kinds of warnings about who to trust and who not to trust, right? I would say... That if we have trouble trusting anybody, like if we don't want to trust anybody, it probably speaks to some kind of wound in our heart and something that God needs to heal emotionally. But I would also say that if we just give our trust away to anybody and everybody, it probably speaks to some kind of wound in our heart that God needs to heal and put back together. Trust is earned. We earn trust from each other in repeated observable behavior. That's how we earn trust with each other. One psychologist says it this way, that trust is like marbles in a, in a jar, right? And I think emotionally healthy people, like if I meet you um, emotion, and I don't have any immediate red flags, emotionally healthy people will start that relationship with some amount of marbles in the jar, right? I'll go ahead and give you some. We call it giving someone the benefit of the doubt, right? I'll put some marbles in that jar. Over time, as someone follows through on what they say, as they prove that what they say to us is true, as they follow through on their behavior, right? As they, as they act the same way in different environments, right? All of these things build trust. More marbles go in that jar, right? However, when offense happens, it's like some of those marbles are taken out. Now, there's big things, right? Like, there's huge offenses that can happen that's like like turning the jar over and all the marbles are out, Right? Um, but many times it's not that serious. It's just like a few were taken out, right, because of the offense that happened, right? So these are different things, forgiveness, reconciliation, and trust. We're always called to forgive. It's God's heart for reconciliation. Sometimes we're able to trust, sometimes we're not. Some people are just not trustworthy. A few weeks ago, we were talking about a hard topic in church, an area of confession, Um, and I, I think some of you heard me say, if you need someone safe to talk to, Come ask me or Steve or someone else and we will direct you to someone who is safe because I don't think everyone is safe in our church. I don't think everyone is trustworthy, right? It doesn't mean that God loves them, doesn't love them. It doesn't mean that we don't extend forgiveness. It just speaks to the development of character in someone, right? Um, we choose our leaders, right, as a church based off of who we can invest trust in, right? Because of observable repeated behavior, Right? Um, because we believe this person is trustworthy because of what we've seen. So God calls us into this process, and some of you have heard this before, but here's what I want to say today. How we move through this process, from forgiveness to reconciliation to trust, has to be informed by forgiving because in Christ Jesus, God forgave us. The memory, the experience of God forgiving me provides the roadmap for how I move through this. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I meet Christians who, after offense, are like, okay, I forgive, and sometimes we say that, and we didn't even do the work, right? We didn't even grieve it. But I forgive, but they're toxic, and this is, I was talking last week about meme culture, right? There's this whole set of memes that circulate you know, on social media about toxic people and how it's our right to write off toxic people. Listen, I just said it. There are times when releasing the relationship is the right thing, but it's not just that God allows provision for that. It's what is the state of my heart as I approach that, as I approach that option. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, do I do everything that I can do to make peace? Um, do I rush to just cutting someone off and releasing them, right, because I know that somehow that's like a right I have or something? See, it's not just that forgiveness and reconciliation and trust are things. It's the attitude of our heart as we engage the hard work of relationships. And the attitude of our heart as it gets revealed in this process is going to demonstrate if we are reflecting on the reality of the forgiveness that we've received or not, (laughs) right? it's possible to go through the steps, forgive, reconcile, trust, and for our hearts to still be in a toxic place, right? Sometimes the way we talk about toxic people reveals the, own, the toxicity that we have in our own hearts, right? Um, and sometimes God wants to use this process to change something in us, right, even as we engage uh, this hard reality. So honestly, uh, this is a confessional sermon for me. Let me tell you where I'm at right now. Um, I run a lot in the mornings. I go down to this park in Rochester, and I'll run and work out there some. And for me, most of the time, it's a time of prayer. And uh, it's beautiful in the summer, you know, because the river is there. It's real nice. Um, uh, You know, silence and solitude are such important spiritual disciplines um, and here's one reason why: is because in the practice of silence and solitude, our souls say real things. Um, and sometimes what our soul says in a moment of silence and solitude, um, we would be embarrassed to let come out of our mouth, right? But it's real because our soul is saying it, right? And here's what I found: silence and solitude used to be so hard for me as spiritual disciplines for a bunch of reasons. But as God has worked more healing in my life, um, I have found it to be more and more important. And here's what made the difference. I believe more than ever that God loves me. And that's what makes silence and solitude a reality, See what, uh, a possibility. See, what used to happen to me was, as soon as I got alone, my soul would start speaking and I would feel ashamed over what it was saying, right? I'd be ashamed of that thought that surfaced or I'd be ashamed of that resentment that I was holding against someone else. And if you don't really believe that God loves you, it's a terrifying thing to be alone with your soul when it's speaking, right? So we do a lot to avoid that, right? We do a lot to make sure our soul doesn't speak, right? We scroll and stay. There was a time, and I'm, I'm an extrovert, like when I take, you know, personality tests, like the Myers-Briggs is a, like a big one, I'm like, extroverted, right? So there's no doubt I'm an extrovert. But sometimes that was a way for me to hide from my own soul. There was a time when I, I barely even liked to go to the store alone because I knew in the car I'd start thinking about stuff. Or my soul would start speaking. I would rather bring someone with me and be talking to them. And for an extrovert, ministry is a great way to hide, right? Because there's plenty of ways to engage and to keep talking to people and not let your soul say anything real, right? Um, But I have found that silence and solitude is the place where my soul actually speaks. And good news, because I've received forgiveness in Christ Jesus, whatever my soul says there, however ugly it is, he loves me. Like, he loves me. You know, he knew my soul was saying that anyway. You know, he saw it. It's not a surprise. Sometimes I'm surprised by what my soul says, but he wasn't surprised. He loves me, right? Um, And so I've learned I can come into his presence and just be whatever I am on that morning, you know, when I'm running. And whatever my soul says, that's what he's going to love, right? There's just this prayer. Sometimes I don't even understand like the feelings, the emotions I feel when I'm, you know, silent and in solitude. And I'll just say, well, God, that's ugly. I don't even know what that is, but I know that you love me. And so I'm asking that you'll give understanding where I need understanding. I'm asking that you'll reveal what needs to be revealed. I'm asking that you'll do whatever needs to be done here. And because I know he loves me, I don't even need him to fix it that day. You know what I'm saying? His love is what's holding all this together anyway. You know what I'm saying? So it's like I can trust his process you know, it's like, if this takes months to figure out, if, this, if you want to deal with this today, the point is, whatever you're saying, God, I'm going to trust you in it, right? So here's what's been happening to me. I run down by the river, and my mind, when I'm alone, keeps drifting to these offenses. They're all small. Um, things that people said in a conversation, um, a place where I felt like someone was inconsistent, um, a place where I felt like they were judgmental to me, held me to a standard that they don't hold themselves to. And and then, I think you'll know what I'm talking about, I find my mind doing this thing where I want to extract a sentence out of a conversation that was said to me, and it sounds so much worse out of context, you know? And I was there for the context, right? But I don't want to think about the context I just want to think about this one sentence that was said. I to, I'm making a case in the court of my own mind that this was way worse than what it actually was, right? Um, I want to run this over and over in my mind. Lately, for the last few weeks, when I run and I'm alone, this is what's coming to my mind. Here's what I'm saying to myself today and to all of you. God has put onto the family on mission an anointing. He's put onto your life in an anointing. And here's what I found. Whatever those barbs of offense are that get into our souls, those small things, and these are hard days. A lot is being said on Facebook. There's a lot of hard conversations. People are tired. Things come out of their mouth that shouldn't come out of their mouth. Um, I find that sometimes I want to um, uh, hang on to these things, and the enemy will come, and he will... Get his hand into that offense, and let me tell you what he's after. He's after your calling. He's after your anointing. He'll he'll create whatever he needs to in that offense um, so that you aren't as effective in the world. So that God can't use you as potently. Um, so that you can't be with the family. He loves to marginalize people, you know, in offense. Um, so that people who are anointed and gifted now can't be used as powerfully in the family of God. And this is it. We're probably going to keep preaching these messages because I really feel like God is linking us to a story of revival, right, in the world. And here's the truth. So it's not like the enemy tries new things. He, just, he does the same things. We just fall for it. All over the world, where revival gets stirred, offense ends it. And it can't be us. You know, forgiveness is our final defense against the enemy. You know, the enemy could influence to say something, do something that hurts our brother and sister, but so long as we forgive, right? So long as we forgive, our callings as individuals, our callings as a family are protected so long as we forgive, right? So I just told one of my mentors, who I confess everything to, I just said to him, "Um, I have some things to forgive, And I need to do the work. I can tell you what I I don't want to do the work. What I want to say is, yeah, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Keep running and be fine, right? Um, Because some of the stuff that keeps coming up in my mind is so petty, I'm embarrassed that it's even coming up. It's like, really? I got offended at that, but I did. Because it keeps coming to my mind. So I know I need to sit with the Lord. I need to carve out some time, sit with the Lord, write some things out. And make the choice of the will to release some people from from some debts, to say, you don't owe me anything. You said that, you don't owe me. And then I need to hear the spirit of God to say, is this something I should overlook and just extend grace to? Or is there a conversation that I need to enter into with someone else? Do we need to talk about this? The things that are coming to my mind are probably, you know, a mix of both. Um, and you know what? In my case, I actually can't imagine any of these instances not reconciling. Like, it's not that way all the time. But the stuff that's coming to my mind, I'm like, oh, this could all reconcile. And so this is God's heart. So why wouldn't I do that, right? Last thing I'm going to say, and then Steve is going to come up. John, if you could come play. Um, I keep talking about the rationale for why Paul commands forgiveness, It is true, in Christ, God forgave us. That's a statement about what we've experienced and we forgive out of the reality of that experience. But here's another way to view what Paul is saying. In Christ, God forgave us is to say that this is what God is doing in the world right now. He's forgiving people. He extended himself to the world through Jesus, right? The cross was how he extended His mercy and his grace to the world. In the age in which we live, this is what God is doing right now. If you want to know what God is doing in the world right now, (laughs) he's forgiving people, right? He's not counting their sins against them. Um, He's extending grace. Um, He's showing mercy. And family, I want to be with God. I want to do what he's doing. And to be with him is to find him extravagantly, It almost looks foolish, forgiving, right? Um, This is what he's doing in the world right now. And you know, it's so foolish looking, it almost seems controversial. I just finished a book, the last book, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. finished before his assassination. And he's writing about the controversy that surrounded nonviolent social change. The thought that through the extension of grace and mercy, that the world could be changed. That we could say something really was wrong and to say it in a way that was even offensive to most people in the day in which we was offensive enough to get them killed. We could say it's wrong. And yet, extend grace and mercy. And it was that extension of grace and mercy that seemed foolish to so many people. It is controversial to think in this way. That this is how God would change things. But this is how God changed the world. It's how he confronts empire. It's how he changes communities. He does it in his forgiveness. He does it in the extension of his mercy and his grace. And I don't know, I think we've made ourselves, we're not a big deal, and we're meeting in even smaller gatherings, but I think we've said, even though we're small, we are linking ourselves to what God is doing in the world, and what he is doing right now is forgiving, right? Our world needs that. What could be better news to the world right now than that God is extending his forgiveness to us, that God is extending his grace and his mercy to our wounds, to our injustices, that he is extending this to individuals? I want to be part of that story. Steve, if you could come close us out.
1: Jesus said, repent and believe, for the kingdom is at hand. And you know... Here in the West, in the Western culture in which we live, a lot of times we think about belief, we just think about what we've resolved in our mind is true. And that's the extent of it. But, you know, repentance is to turn, and belief is to walk in the way of truth that's given to us. And so, Joel served me off a soft pitch here, um, and I want to practice with you Jesus, from Jesus' prayer pattern, forgiveness. He said, "Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us." So, the first part of that is asking the Lord to reveal to us. You know, in the Bible, it's clear that there are sins known and unknown to us that we have committed. And um, so, first, we just want to create space for the Holy Spirit to reveal to us um, where we have sinned against the Lord. Um, through sinning against uh, someone else, offending someone else. So um, first, if you'll just pray with me, we are acting on our belief in forgiveness right now. We are believing for forgiveness. And so, uh, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would reveal to us now, Lord God, um, what it is that we're asking for forgiveness for, In the name of Jesus, let's just wait on the Lord In your heart and in your relationship with the Lord, it's just to ask for forgiveness to the Lord. Father, forgive me for my sins, known and unknown to me. Of Jesus. And now, as Joel just taught from Scripture, you know, forgiveness, remember, is a choice of the will. pain that the wrong done to us caused is illegitimate. It's not saying we should trust the person we're forgiving or that we're reconciled through this, but rather I'm making a choice of the will to release them from the debt that they do owe me because they did wrong me. Um, So right where you are, uh, online or here, I just exhort us, encourage us to extend that forgiveness. Jesus said, freely you've received, freely forgive. And I have this sense um, that there's somebody who is thinking um, the thought, I'm tired of tormenting her. And um, that you want to be free. That you feel tormented and that you pass that on to someone in your life or people in your life and you you feel like you can't not do it and that you're powerless. And that perhaps this issue of forgiveness, someone's hurt you first And that through forgiving them, um, there's such power in forgiveness. There's such power in Jesus' blood and that he forgave us and died for us that we would be forgiven. That it's the start of your healing journey today, if you would step into that. And that could look like forgiving yourself because the Father doesn't hold your sins against you. And remember, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean that the Father's okay with what we've done or what's been done to us. Um, It mattered so much to Him in His holiness and His perfect justice that He sent His Son as the necessary sacrifice in His perfect love for us to atone for our sins, right?
0: And so right now, we
1: just forgive those who have sinned against us, known and unknown to us, and known and unknown to them, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, we receive you right now afresh. We eat and drink of you, Jesus. There's life, there's power, there's protection in the blood, there's forgiveness in the blood, there's healing in the blood that you shed for us on the cross, Christ. We receive it now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I just declare healing and deliverance forgiveness, freedom over us as a people and over those who we're in relationship with. Christ to the right of you, Christ to the left of you, Christ above you, Christ beneath you, Christ all around you, go in the peace of his presence.